whole discussion about the punishments for uh, acts of adultery, etc. Um, and um, some of the elements of the, the way he discusses is that I think are there's a lot of, lot of uh, to think about. So um, the Torah says in a case where a person has mercy Shemra on his on his young wife. So and it turns out that, that what he's done is false. So he has to get he gets Malkus. He pays a kanas of a hundred kesef. Hundred kesef is is um, is uh, would be the equivalent of. Um, of double of the ksuba. And he has to remain married to her his whole life. He can't divorce her. Okay. Now, we know that the decision for divorce in, in the Torah is, is solely in the hands of the man. So, rehearse the fascinating things is like this. The original point of view of the Jewish law could presume such a high estimation of the wife in marriage which is apparent in the whole realm of the Jewish scriptures, and which we already proved in an article titled called The Jewish Woman in the Ashurin Volume 10, which has been translated by Diane Dr. Grinfeld in his Judaism Eternal, taken from the example of the Shriften. Now, I have not seen that article. Uh, I don't have Judaism Eternal. Um, but I would imagine it's in the collected writings, but I could not find where it was. I have seven of the eight volumes of the collected writings. Um, so, the he's now going to say he's now going to say a fascinating thought. There's all one little sentence. We stopped in the middle of a sentence, um, which is common in the German. So that um, why is it that the Torah puts that power of divorce only solely in the hands of a man? So because there's such a high, a high, high estimation of the concept of of. Uh, of the wife in marriage. So this is maybe everything one second. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna you, mute you. Okay. So um, the Torah could take it for granted that the husband finds in his wife the pearl of his heart, the joy of his life to such an extent that it could safely and boldly entrust the decision to dissolve the marriage to the husband if that were not the case, if his wife were not that to him. In other words, the Torah assumes that the state of marriage is, is so positive that the only person who would be contemplating the idea of divorce is a person, and that's going to be the way it's always going to be. So clearly the person is, is deciding to divorce is because there's something wrong with the marriage. The marriage which a Jewish husband could decide to dissolve. That that such a marriage, the Jewish law could safely assume, was not worth being continued. He's saying it's a logic that if the society is doing what they're supposed to be doing, and marriage is the institution that it's supposed to be, nobody's going to divorce unless it's really a mess. And 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 it makes sense to to dissolve it. So we can we 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 can safely put the decision for divorce so in the hands of the man because the incentives 
for maintaining the marriage are so positive that nobody's going to abuse that and vice versa in a case where the woman would, would, would need a divorce that, that, which the husband was refusing, those cases are going to be so uncommon that it's no problem. It was not a sign of progress, but a step backwards in the development of the Jewish culture when it became recognized as a necessity of the time and place to take from the husband this one-sided authority. Which puts certain certain powers in the hands of the woman. That wasn't a step forward, it was a step backward. Now the husband who, as in the problem of our text, now, okay, fine. That's his general understanding of, of the, the concept of divorce. The scenario over here, who in the, the, behaved in such a disgraceful manner against his wife in order to bring about a forced dissolution of the marriage, he wanted to force the, a, a, the marriage to fall apart. From him, the Torah takes away this authority for all time. He no longer has that right. As far as he is concerned, the wife has to remain his wife forever. He has no power ever to dissolve the wedding unless she wishes it. Um, that's uh, the, the first point he says. He, see, he's saying an interesting idea just how we were supposed to relate to the whole concept of, of um, wh why the man is, in, is in, in, in given the power of divorce, not the woman, because it, it was such a good type of institution that the woman would want to be there and the man would want to be there, and if it wasn't working out, it was something which both parties would agree to, to the point that there was no need to Badafka give the woman that that ability, etc. It when in, in the time of the history things changed and, we, and this problem was undermined, yeah. So they they made the Tukanasar Bonin to try and address the problem. Okay. Now, um, in the next one, continuing in this in this area. So the Torah talks about a case of what's called the Narmarosa. She she's had erisin. She's not had nesuin. So now, people translate the the word erisin as as betrothed. Now, betrothal in the, the English usage does not mean marriage. It means some type of an engagement. But the, the Torah's language of the word of erisin means much more than just an engagement. It means an actual marriage. There's a marriage where the, the two of them are now connected halachically, but they cannot live together until they do the stage of Nesuin. So this woman, is a, she's, she's has had Arisen. She remains, uh, normative situation, she remains in her father's home until the time of the Nesuin, which could be, they could, they could do the Arisen and hold off on the Nesuin uh, for years if, if they wished. There, once one party has makes a request for the nesuin, then there's a time limit. They have either 12 months or they have 30 days, depending on the situation, that they have to move forward on the nesuin. But the, as long as neither party is asking for the nesuin stage, uh, they can remain in that stage for a while. So this woman has been mezana um, while she's in the state of Arison. So she, since Arison is is halakhali she's married, she she's Chayv Misa for the punishment for that. Um, but as opposed to a woman who's fully married, the punishment is actually less than a woman who's only a, who's a Russo. Uh, so Hirsch doesn't talk about that. One of the explanations why that's so is whereas a woman who's married, fully married, um, 
there's together with her avera, there's a certain amount of fear of being uh, because she's living with her husband, she can be caught, etc. The Nara, which has only had Arison, she's not living with her husband yet. So um, the uh, she's not living with her husband yet, so she has less fear. So the veir is being done more comfortably than the woman who was married. Uh, so that there's a famous line from from Rishel Salanta. Rishel Salanta says that a person does an Avera and while he's doing it, he feels bad that he's doing it. He gives a krechs. So they write down in Shemayim, they did the Avera with the krechs. The person does the Avera without the krechs. He's very happy with the Avera. They write down in Shemayim, they did the Avera without the krechs. Right? So a person does the Avera. Sometimes he feels like he's sort of, part of himself is fighting it and he he loses the battle. But he still feels bad that he's as such. That's a different type of Avera than a Avera where a person is doing it totally comfortably. So the Nara Marasa is doing the Avera much more comfortably because she has no fear of her husband. She's not living with her husband yet. So the punishment is greater. Okay, but that's not the point Rav Hirsch talks about. So Rav Hirsch talks about the following Pasuk. Pasuk, the Pasuk Chavdalad. So they take both the man and the woman to the, to the, to the public Shah, which was the, place, the gathering place of the city. And they're punished with skila. So the man was 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 mizana with the woman. The woman was mizana with the man. So why is the woman chayiv misa? As a naraw, I would have said because she, she was mizana. But the Torah says as a naraw al devar because she did not call out for help. She's she's in a city. And she did not ask for anybody to try and save her from the uh, this man who was having beer with her. So that's indicative of the fact that she's doing it willingly. The man, because he, he took advantage of somebody else's wife. So now... Um, the Torah says that the key of Misa only comes together with Hasra and Adim. So it means there are two Adim which witnessed the act. They said to the parties, do not do that. The Torah says it's Osir. They have to say what the punishment is. The Torah says this is also what you're doing and the of, there's a Chi of skill for it. The parties have to respond, I understand what you're saying and I'm doing it anyway. And that's what, that's what Bezin has the, the authority to kill somebody. With rare exception, by Mesis, by case of Mesis, the person is committing somebody else to do what is order, there's no requirement of Hasra. Um, if you, and a few other scenarios where there's no, no requirement of Hasra. But in general, the Basin will not punish with Misa unless there was a Hasra, the Ba'edim warned them, and the Hasra was done, and, and the, the parties, the party or parties, were Makabal Hasra. We also hold that, that it has to be done um, immediately prior to the Veira. So they warned a guy five days ago, don't do the Veira. The, the, the warning wore off. It has to be a fresh warning immediately. So here we have a situation where Tuaidim walk in on this man being Mazana with somebody else's wife. And they say, you should not do that. It's an Veira. You're going to get Misa for that. And they say, and both parties say, we know, and they're doing it anyway. 
And the Pesach says the reason why she gets Misa is because she didn't ask for help. I mean, that's not the reason why she gets Misa. Um, um, so what what is the what what is the the, the, the term mean over here? Kimotse, as you already remarked, the finding of a happening which leads to bringing the case to, to be considered by the court must be verified by the declaration of eyewitnesses. And a criminal case must also have been given the due warning. Hasra must also be given at the time the crime was about to be committed. So there are a lot that's the situation. Okay, now so here he has a, he has a Hebrew uh, note over here, and there's no English translation of it. I'm not familiar with him doing this before, um, or other places. Uh, I seem to recall vaguely one place elsewhere he does this. See, he has he writes a shtickle Torah. You know, now it's for a mitzvah shetel time. You know, he's saying his own shtickle Torah. I, I, I don't mean to disparage it. That's the Saying it's like it, it, it's it's not part of the flow of the the the, the pirush and the chumash. He has a or he has a question. On, on the din, and he wants to say an explanation. It's an aral devarshal etzoaka. Tzorkiyam me'archad the kaimalon the ein misa bloy hasro. Okay, so the, the misa can only be given if the, there's warning. Afilu chavar tzorch hasro, and even a tamachachim who knows the halacha still has to be warned. The tzorch lekabal of hasro will have to answer the misa. The person has to say, I, I understand what you're saying, and I'm doing it anyway. It's called his mekabal that he, he accepts he acknowledges the warning, and he says, "I'm doing it anyway." So that's that's he's being matter at He's saying, "I'm I'm I'm sort of accepting that I'm chayiv misa." Because what do do with the fact that the woman didn't call out for help? If she if she accepted the warning of the edim, so obviously there's the. We're, we're, not, we're proving something based on the fact that she didn't accept, she didn't call out. Forget about didn't call out. She accepted, she accepted the Asra. In the case of that she didn't accept the Asra, so why is she Chai Misa for not calling out? She didn't, she didn't have Asra. Luli de Mistafino, Hayisi Aimer. If I wouldn't be scared, I would say the following. Now, this phrase is a common phrase in the Swarim that, you know, they, they're su- suggesting a, a very significant novel idea. And they're hesitant a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous to say this. I'm not sure it's really true. But if I wouldn't be scared, that's what I would say. That's, but I'm, but I'm, I am scared. I am hesitant to say this. That's, that's the phrase which many of the Khrani use this type of language. So we're, if I wouldn't be scared, this is what I would say. So he wants to suggest like this. The woman is passive in a Maisabiyah. She's not active. So even in a scenario where she would accept the Hasra, she would, would, she would acknowledge and recognize the fact that she's been warned and she would, I'm doing it anyway. If there would not be some, besides that, if there would not be some other indication of the fact that she's doing this willingly, we would have to judge it as, 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 an, as, as potentially as it was against her will, it was forced upon her. So we have, a, the Torah says, we have a, a proof. If she really was an oinus, she didn't want it, there's people who can help her. So just call out for, ask for help. So the, 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 over here, the lack of requesting help is indicative of the fact that she wants it. But otherwise, the presumption is that, that a person is not doing an avera willingly, 
this, the presumption is the person is doing the way Avera unwillingly, unless we have some indication that they're doing it willingly. So by the woman, by the fact that she's passive in the Maisebiya, we would assume that she's an earnest. So that's the that's the uh, idea behind this paragraph. Um, he says, In a case where the the, in the 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 person we're talking about didn't actively do anything, he, he was passive, and somebody else did used him as part of the Avera. He has a din like he's a piece, it's, it's, he's the great piece of the ground. He's not a, an active partner in the Vera. If the Chiyav is for accepting the action being done to them, they have to indicate that they want that. We can still say that the onus is what's making him do it. Okay, so that's, that's what he wants to suggest. So that's why we need to, we're saying there is an indication, the fact that she could have asked for help and she didn't do so. Oh, that's the indication. But just the Hasra alone, the, the default is that the person is doing it because there's some duress forcing them to do an Avera. That's, so that's what he wants to suggest. I think there's a fascinating side issue over here. He's suggesting that the correct way to look at, at a Jew doing an Avera is the assumption is the person doing an Avera, but is, they, don't, they don't want really to do this. They don't really want to do this. They really would prefer not to do Averis. And they're feeling some some pressure is causing them to do Averis, whether it's an outside pressure or it's an internal pressure, but there's a pressure which is co- causing them to do Averis. But the default position of a Jew is they do not want to do Averis. And we see them doing if we see them doing Averis, our default position is that probably is that they're an, on, on, that they're an onus, it's against their will, unless we can prove otherwise from their actions. So they're actually doing something. So that that, that that indicates they want it. case where the bear is passive, the indication that they want it is with the fact that they did not ask for help. Um, that's one point that he says. Um, So uh, he's going to talk about this idea of onus a little, a little more. But his, I want to touch on a different point that he says. I mean, which is shot in the pasuk. That the, the the lack of asking for help when the help is available indicates that you're really accepted. You really are, are agreeable to the outcome. So that's an interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember where I saw it. Um, it was it was it was it was a true story, or it was a mushal. It was about a father with a child. They asked the child to move the rock. Right, um, and told the child that you know they could they could use anything they want to help move the rock. Um, and if they really want to move the rock, they'll be able to move the rock. So the child tried a crowbar, and tried, they, they, all the various different tools, etc. So the child said, it can't be done. The person knows, you don't, want to, you, don't, you don't want to move the rock. So the child said, I, I tried everything. He says, no, you didn't. So he says, you didn't ask me for help. 
so you have, if you haven't exhausted your resources, means to certain extents you're accepting the outcome. You're agreeable to the outcome. So if one of the resources to this woman is she has a right to ask for help to stop this mysabia, and she chooses not to, means she's agreeable to the outcome. Um, I think it, 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 it's it's somewhat of a challenge slash indictment, or at least warning, um, that many times we sort of I, I'm doing a vera and you know I'm doing an issue something wrong, meters meters which I'm not happy with, or errors that I'm doing, or wasting my time, misses that I'm not doing properly, etc. And you know I, I try I, I try to make this kabbalah and I try to learn this saver, etc. Um, but to ask for help, so it's a little embarrassing sometimes to ask for help. It's a little uncomfortable to ask for help. Or, you know, I'm not sure who it has. So I choose not to. So I'm saying, listen, you know, I, I tried everything I could do. And so I'm really on a I'm an honest. So it wasn't my fault. The Torah is saying, no, no. If you have an option of asking for help and you choose not to use that option, that's called your willing, your, your willing partner in this, in this avera. You're not. You're no longer a victim. Now you're now you're a perpetrator. So that's true in every aspect of a person's life. That if a person has an option of seeking help, and they choose not to, albeit for because they're embarrassed to say what it is, but that that's a decision that they made. And now I can't overcome this issue. I need and I and I have nobody and there's nobody to help me. There's no way I overcome it. There is people who could help you. Just, you, you you don't want, you chose not to use them. Or, um, I once heard the name of Steinman from his nephew, who, who was learning in Tells at the time. The nephew came from Eretzisot to Tells, didn't speak a word of English. He wanted to be Zerich to learn gift of Shir. Um, so he came for that purpose. So the nephew said that that. Steinman complained to him one time, you know, commented that people come to ask for eights, but they're not willing to share all of the details because they're embarrassed. So he says, the person goes to the doctor, you, you got to get undressed. If, if you want to get somebody's input of how to deal with something, but you're embarrassed and you, you leave out the details because you're embarrassed, so what'd you accomplish? It's like going to the doctor and not taking off your clothes. So I need the doctor. Please help me. But you know, but but you can't look. You can't look at my heart because it's embarrassing for me to, to, to put that stethoscope on my chest. So the doctor says I can't help you. So we, so even when the person finally goes and asks for help, if they're not willing to share all the details because they're uncomfortable, they didn't really use all their resources. Okay. Um, now he continues on and he talks about the 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 the, the, the post that continues and says. Um, over here, it says, let's say, if it wasn't in the city where there's people around, it was out in the field where it, it was deserted. So the man is, gets punishment. But the Torah says, but to the woman, to the girl, don't do anything. She's not deserving of a punishment. For uh, of, of Misa for what she's done. The Torah compares it to a case of of uh, a person was attacked and he was killed. 
So it's not his fault. So the same thing over here, it was She asked for help and nobody helped, came to help her. So he says like this. So this is the source for the concept in Halacha called Ernest Rachmanipatri. If something is forced on the individual, he has no he has no culpability for that situation. The Torah makes no one responsible for any deed which is forced upon them. This account comes also into the sphere of cases in civil law. It's not only by criminal law; it's also by civil law. Discussing a case of a, a, a an agreement under certain conditions, if the fulfillment of the conditions was done under duress, it's not a valid it's not an, an, a valid fulfillment of the of the condition. Okay, and then he discusses. So here the Torah introduces the idea that if a person is, we can, we can exculpate the person by saying that it, 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 if they had no control over the situation, it was going to happen, it was forced upon them. Um, so the post is like this. Just as nobody is responsible for the crime or murder which someone commits on him, so Reuven kills Shimon. You say, Shimon, it's all your fault. You, you, you caused it. No. Um, that the, the person is not held responsible for that. The, the, the one who was killed, we never, they don't blame the victim. Where to agree to it, or even offer no resistance, we come on the heading of a sin of suicide. But it's not, with regards to the responsibility of murder, it's not murder. He's not part. Right? That's obvious. So, for the crime of adultery or for the similar crime of a sexual morality, nobody is responsible if it has been forcibly committed with them. Then he points out that, that by doing so, the Torah is now equating the sin of the Avera of Gilirayas and the Avera of Shechazdom and putting them on, on, on equal footing. But I want to tell you a, a beautiful thought, um, which I think maybe the person is really referring to. Um, this concept that that Ernest Rachmanipatre, that a person is not held responsible for that which is forced upon them. So the logic behind that is a beautiful thought from a Sefer Chemda Shlomo and Rebbechon Wasserman develop such a thought as well, that the actions which the Torah recognizes as actions upon which there's, there's, there's going to be reward and punishment, or even in, in, not in criminal law, but in civil law, civil cases, civil Torah cases, um, the, the if a person commits to some type of a, of a condition for a transaction, we're saying he's committed that he's going to be the one who's doing it. So the same way we understand, if Reuven were to take Shimon, and Reuven's very, very big and Shimon's pretty small, he picks up Shimon and he uses Shimon to smash to smash somebody else. So you say, Shimon, Shimon's a murderer. Because Shimon's body killed uh, killed Levi. Says, obviously that's not true. That Ruven is using Shimon as a vehicle t- for the Veira. 
So the same way that's true in that, that obvious case. In a case where the person does the error under duress, the, the, the decision for it, to some extent, is not the individual's doing it. The decision is being decided in the, the one who's, who's, um, who is uh, um, forcing it. Actions which are called actions of a responsible adult, which he has, he has culpability, has responsibility, are decisions which I make. If I allow somebody, I also outsource my das to somebody else because of the, the, the duress, he's forcing me to do it. I'm not deciding it. He's deciding it. So it's not my action. So I can't be, I can't be held responsible for it. I can't fulfill my obligations with it because it's not my action. So the fact that the Gemara presents such an idea, even in Dini Mom, Dini Momenis, etc., that the condition is not fulfilled if it's done under duress because it wasn't my action. And the condition was that I should fulfill it. I didn't fulfill it. Somebody else used my body to make it happen. How did he do that? He put a gun to my head and said, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. Said the day, that was a way of him using my body to make something happen. It's not my mind which is doing it. It's his mind which is doing it. So the definition of a human act is not the body. It's the body in conjunction with the, the, the human mind having its faculties and deciding what to do. That's... Uh, that's a misa which a person will get reward for. That is a misa which a person will get punished for. And that is a misa which is considered the person's misa that it, it fulfills, it, it can be used to fulfill financial obligations. Am I making sense over here? Is that clear? I see David is not giving me a response. Okay, you're, you're, you're muted. Okay. Okay, so uh, I think that's a fascinating, you know, point. That it, it turns if you want to turn, flip it around. So we want to get reward for a lot of the actions which we do, which we don't do with too much. The, the, the mind is not engaged. Right? If the Torah is saying that in case where it's, it's the body which is doing it, but if he's outsourced his das to somebody else, that is not his ma'aseh. Because it was done under Ernest. So, what about a situation where I create a computer program, which I stick into my head, that every morning I go to, I go into shul and I say X amount of words. I have no thought processes, etc. Right? Is that called my mice? Well, obviously it is because I decided to stick that computer program in my head and do it. But at some amount, if, if, if I'm doing it totally by rote without any conscious um, input of that I want to do it, etc. It's questionable how much reward I'm going to get for that in that respect. Um, I, do, I, I would point out that every morning, one of the two first two tefillahs that we say every morning, the first two requests that you make from Hashem. So the first request you make is in, is in Birchus Atara. Let's say you follow the order of the Mishnah So you say, you, you, you say um, the Baruch of Alantir Sadayim, you say Eshe Yetzar, you say Elokai Neshama. So it's over, you don't, you don't made any requests. You, you said thank you, etc. Then you say Baruch of You say Eshe Yetzar, Eshe Yetzar, Eshe That's, again, that's praise. That's not a request. Then you say, Please, Hashem, make the words of Torah sweet. 
So our first request every single day is make the words of Torah sweet. Make the Torah should be something which I treasure. That's the first request that we make it in the day. What's the second request? Well, we finish that paragraph. We say Shabbat Again, that's praise. It's not request. We say Berachas Hashachar, which is praises. And then we say the Bracha of Amar B'Shenem Yinom Yusnum Yafapoy. And now we say, we again make a request. And our our next request is Tagilena B'Shenem Yinom We should get used to doing Torah. Which we should do it because we're used to doing it. So my first request is Rosh I should do Torah because I love it. It should be Geshmak. I enjoy it. And, you know, it's it's a total... The, the, what, what you conjure up in your mind is this total conscious decision to do it. And the second one we're saying, you know, Bershom, you know, listen, let me do it because, you know, that's what I'm used to doing. I should be used, to, I, I should be accustomed to do this. I should be used to doing it. I'll get up the word because that's what you do. It's almost it's antithetical to, the, to, the, to, the, to the, 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 re- the request beforehand. And the answer is obviously that that's not true. We need both. We need, number one, let me ask a better question. I think it's a better question. We, we know there's a concept called chinuch. We train our children to do mitzvahs. Now, any person who's been through that process will tell you that it has ups, it has upsides and downsides. So the kid is taught it to bench on a regular basis, etc. He doesn't really understand what he's saying. Now he's 15, 18, 20 years old and he wants to really work, really, he recognizes the importance of benching the kavana. But he, since he's so used to benching without kavana, because that's how he's been trained, because you can't really expect the, the five-year-old to have too much kavana, or the eight, or eight-year-old to have too much kavana. He's just used to benching like that. That's what comes out. Well, maybe it would be better not to teach him how to bench. And, you know, and when he turns around to say, listen, my son, now that the Torah, you make a decision. Do you really want this or not? He says, yeah, of course I want it. Well, it's, it's a conscious decision. He's doing it because he decided it. And he'll do it with much more interest and, 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 and focus than if he was trained beforehand. But we know there's a concept of chinuch. So why is that? Okay, so let's let's imagine the day of the guy who doesn't have Tagalina Masarasa. So he wakes up in the morning. So he says, should I say am I done or not? You know, I'm not sure. Let's think about it. What are the pros and cons of saying Maidani? Saying like to Hashem, do I really believe in Hashem? Let's well, there's a mitzvah but that's uh, do I have to decide? Do I want to do the mitzvah or not do the mitzvah Do I really believe in Hashem? Let's be, go through the proofs of whether Hashem exists or not. Okay, so now it's uh, 20 minutes later. He's decided, you know what, Hashem exists. And he says, he decides to say thank you to Hashem. Okay, should, put on, should I put on a yarmulke or not? Well, let's think about it. Let's go through the possibilities. Well, should, you know, what are the pros and cons of wearing a yarmulke, etc.? So he gets, right? It's now, it's now 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And he's gotten through Moida'ani and the uh, Yamaka and Negobaster. He put on sitzes, he put on tefillin, and it's time for Mincha. Right? So, no, no, no. I get up in the morning and I wash Negobaster, right? and, I, and I put on my sitzes, I, I, I go to shul, I put on my Yamaka. Right? If being accustomed to, to doing these things is what gives us function. But at the same time, we have make them a custom. I don't want to do them because I'm just accustomed to them. I want to do them because I really want them. I want to find excitement and pleasure in what I'm doing. I want to find fulfillment in that. So we ask Targalina Basarasecha. We also ask Vaharavna. Right? So, so that which a person benches by, by putting in the recording and passing the button, and out comes benching. Right? 
So we're saying that, that to some extent that's not really his action because it's, it's there's there's no the mind is not engaged. I, I think I told you the the, the reason why I use that analogy is I, one of my rebbeim one time had presented the following scenario, which I think most most honest people will, you know, will, besides laughing at it, they will recognize that it probably happened to them at some point in their life. A person came over to him that um, was middle of Marev, and somewhere along the way he realized he was middle of benching. So what happened is they said Borku instead of so he said what happened was he was using the muscle of tape, you know, tape, he was, those are the tape recorders. He says he turned on the tape recorder. He put in the wrong tape. He put in the benching tape instead of the marv tape. So out came benching instead of marv. Like that was, you know, that was his the Rebbe's description of what happened. Like he he, he wakes up, you know, oh my gosh, I'm benching. I'm not even done marv. Like so, let's say he put in the right tape. Was that a marv? Right. The, tomorrow night he's very he, he put in the right tape. So he wakes up somewhere in the middle of marv. You know, I'm I'm done. Oh, I'm doing marv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The word the mouth is engaged. The mouth is doing its thing, right? But the mind's unengaged. But according to what we're saying, we do need that regulus. I'm not saying that we don't need that regulus. At the same time, to get full reward for what we're doing, just doing it based on regulus is not fully in action of man. That's why the Torah says a person is not held, is not held responsible for something which he's doing without his mind being fully, as it were, engaged in the, in the decision-making process of it. So, um, I, I get up in the morning and say, I'm doing this, the Shemitzah, what I'm trying to say is, I'm deciding I want to do this. A, a mitzvah, Emma, this we've discussed this before, but it bears repeating. We all mitzvah to Kavana. We pass the mitzvah, by the rise of Mitzvah Tzichos Kavana. What does that mean? What's the Kavana that you need? So the Aruch HaShulun says the Kavana you need is two words, L'Shei Mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, you have to think. You're doing it for a mitzvah, as, a, as a mitzvah. So, what did, you get, what did you add to the action which wasn't there without, when I don't think of those two words? What's missing? It says, I don't know the Roshim's Kavanas. 